0: John, known as uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Many of you may recall that. The origin of his name actually means uh, whom Jehovah loves, Johan. And he was a native of, of Bethsaida in Galilee. His parents were godly parents probably the cousins of Christ. John was their youngest son. He was kind of like the Benjamin of the family. His mother was the one who followed Christ, ministered to him, was at the cross, and was among those who took the sweet spices to anoint Jesus' body. John's father was a successful fisherman He had his own vessel and was therefore somewhat prosperous uh, enough to hire servants. And John himself was also an accomplished fisherman, although we come to know him once he is called as a disciple uh, to follow Christ. That took place while he and others were mending their fishing nets. He was the youngest of all the other disciples. Um, Jesus had given him a surname. You remember what that was. It was pronounced uh, Bonara, yes, which meant he was zealous. He had a very observable zeal to witness for Christ. He was treated with familiarity by the Lord Jesus more than the others. He sat next to Jesus at the Last Supper. Uh, He was entrusted to the care of Jesus' mother. He died at almost 100 years old. It is one of the things that Wesley noted about him that states A Caesar's title, my envy moves, than to be styled the man whom Jesus loves. What charms, what beauties in his face did shine, reflected ever from the face divine. Yes, along with the characteristics that John possessed of being... Energetic, uh, intolerant, ambitious, and eager to learn, one of his passions also was truth. And here in this second of his epistles, he deals with the subject of truth very clearly and straight on. John uses the word truth some 37 times throughout the writing of his Gospels and these three epistles and Revelation. And this morning we want to follow along with John's insights about truth as he relates them to us in here in 2 John. So I point us back as we go through this verse by verse to verse 1 where we read just a few moments ago that John first starts off to let his readers know that the truth that he's talking about is an abiding truth. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all those who have known the truth because of the truth which Abides in us and will be with us forever. This truth that John speaks of is an abiding truth. It's interesting that in his second letter here, uh, there are out of the 13 verses, there are eight that are either identical in word or identical in sentiment than uh, with his first letter. And the the elder that he refers himself to, he uses the word uh, presbyteros, he uses it in the sense of, of not an office, but rather the sense of his age. We know him to be roughly around 90 at the time of this writing. And yes, there is something to be said about what happens to us as we age. Oh, much more different than just body parts that won't work and muscles that are sore than when they move. Hopefully, and specifically to the one who's decided to follow Christ throughout their life, there is an accumulated wisdom that comes with age. John here is referring to himself as one who is advanced in age and writing to, as it states there in the verse, uh, to the elect lady and her children. Most commentators agree that this is uh, one of two things. Either uh, the personification of the church, and not just the church at large, but rather a local body of believers that that John had knowledge of or that he was close to in relationship, uh, and or it was an actual person. But the name was kept uh, hidden because of the persecution of that day. And so... He refers to this truth as being an abiding truth. Notice it says that it is in us, verse 2, and with us forever. People will come and go. Fads will come and go. Eras will come and go. Politics, policy, and uh, politicians will come and go. But this truth that John is speaking of remains in us and abides with us forever. We, of course, would acknowledge that he's referencing again what he had heard the Lord Jesus say many years before that he himself wrote about in his 14th chapter of the gospel that he wrote when Jesus promised that he will pray and that the Father would give to his followers another helper. John 14, verse 16 and 17. I will pray, the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither knows him Rather, it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. A little bit further down in the 17th chapter of his gospel, John reiterating what the Lord Jesus said about the word. He said that the word is the truth. I have given him your word, Father. Your word is the truth. And so John says, you know, reaching backwards with the history that he's been walking with the Lord, as he writes to these believers, he says, this truth stays with you. It's in you. It abides in you and is with you forever forever. And some of us might think this morning, well, then why can't I remember it? Why, how come I, when I'm out in various uh, interactive places where it would be just really great for me to have a Bible verse or some uh, specific truth to share with someone else? Or maybe at times when we're really wrestling with uh, a direction, a path that we're to go. And at times it's, it's, it's as though that it's a struggle to call up that verse that, okay, John says it's in me and that it'll abide with me forever. Uh, where is it? The answer simply remains that what goes in comes out. To what degree are we putting this truth in our heart? To what degree are we allowing the Spirit of God to write these truths into the fabric of our being so that they're just not cliches or Sunday school answers, but they are a living, breathing strength to the soul of our faith? So that's the question. God doesn't change. God's principle doesn't change. His promise doesn't change. And John says his truth is with you uh, and abides in you and is with you forever. So let it become our diet. Let it become our meal. The truth of God's word. It's an abiding truth. The second thing that John brings out, we might notice, is that it's intended to be A loving truth, verse three. He says, Grace, peace, I'm sorry, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. The truth about the truth, according to John, is that it's to be. A loving truth, that's the intent. But sometimes men, women, young people, and those who are open to thought processes in the world, when they come to truths in the Word of God, they're not so willing to accept them as being loving. Give you an example Isaiah 59 the prophet is speaking to the people of God that had wandered and strayed and Isaiah says to them as a mouthpiece of the Lord, he says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not too short to save and his ear is not too heavy for him to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now that's intended to be a loving word. What does that word say? It says that sin has separated mankind from his creator, God. And I don't know if you looked around lately, but there's a lot of society that just does not want to hear that they would much rather not key in on the thing that has separated me from God and, and get more comfortable with what uh, I want to do in life. And, yeah, God's there, or heaven is there. or Maybe when I was three in church, I, I said yes to J- But, you know, that's all there. Uh, I'm going on with my life. And there are even some who just look at Christianity as a... Um, kind of an oddball thing of believing. But the fact remains that iniquity has separated us and sin has hidden his face from us. The good news is that God said, that's not how I want it to stay. I love you. I created you for a purpose and Here I'm giving you my son who in his faithfulness will go to a cross and take upon him the penalty of your sin so that by faith in his blood you once again cannot be separated from me but can have beautiful, unbroken fellowship with the one who has created you. You know, they say that the most challenging time for finding out, you know, why am I here? Why do I exist? What is my purpose in life? Often takes place somewhere around 12 or 13 and 22, that men, women, and young people are trying to figure it out within that period of time. The book of Revelation tells us that God said, You've been created to bring me pleasure. And the only way to bring God pleasure is to acknowledge his plan to save us from what separates us from him by faith in his son. It's intended to be a loving truth, but it's not always received as loving. Paul, writing to the Ephesians, he said, Speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head. He continued in Ephesians 4:25, said, "Therefore, putting away lying, let us uh, let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for for we are members one of another." Have you ever sought to just try and share with someone that is? Uh, in need of biblical truth, maybe not even the the, the depth of, of saving knowledge, but they're trying to figure out their place in life, and, and you begin to pepper or just slightly breathe truth into their lives, and, and the door of their ear gets closed, and you can just tell they're shutting down. They don't want to hear it. Sherry and I have a very familiar phrase in our home uh, that we use often when we run into those kind of doors because at times we do still run into them and and it goes something like this. If they're not asking any questions, all the answers in the world don't matter. You've got to wait until there's an actual question in the heart and then speak to that the prophet Zechariah wrote in Zechariah 8.16, These are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. It's intended to be a loving truth, but it is intended to be purely true. And The greatest truth is that God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. An abiding truth intended to be a loving truth. It's also a livable truth. In verse 4 we read, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. As we've received commandment from the Father, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandment. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. You notice in those three verses, walk, 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 live, live, live. This is intended to be a livable truth. In other words, these truths that we either stumble upon or come to intentionally Maybe as we're turning a page and we, we gravitate to some specific biblical truth that, that lands on our heart in a very powerful way, whether we've, whether we've read it for the first time or we're reading it for the 20th time. And as I said last week, I heard a brother, dear brother say, God deliver us from the curse of familiarity that we would become so familiar with this thing that we would stop listening to what it's saying to our heart and we come across some truth in this and we know that we're to go out and live that truth through the course of the day. Right? Right? Choices. There's a word. Each morning we wake up, we have choices here in this great country in which we live. Can you imagine being over in Israel right now? Can you imagine being in the Gaza Strip right now? Uh, Choices are limited because they're at war. Here, in support of Israel and what... Uh, is coming, I mean, where are we on day, what day? 23. 23. What we're waiting for, and Sherry and I were talking about this, is the ground assault. Because the ground assault into uh, Gaza is going to be the most horrendous. It's door-to-door warfare, combat and to an organization that places its um, uh, headquarters and weaponry and all of that under things like hospitals. Does anybody recall how long it took us to come up with the plan to invade Normandy, which became the uh, boot along with a couple of other shoes hitting uh, Nazi Germany. But Normandy was a, a deal breaker. And they took a long time to strategize how that would happen. And there were things that worked and things that didn't work. But this is why we're in this waiting period. Israel and its, its military leadership are taking a long time to deal with the strategy of how the most effective way to handle the ground assault will be. And their choice, the populace, their choices of how they live right now are somewhat limited. Here in the West, you and I wake up this morning, you have a plethora of choices of where you will go, what you will do, who you will be with. Now listen, the point of this is that the truth of Scripture is to be a livable truth in which your choices, the freedom God has given you and I to make choices, are that those choices would be choices that glorify God and uh, continue to allow Him to have access into the direction of your life. Like... Joshua, remember, the people were being squirrely. And they weren't sure who they were supposed to live their lives for. And Joshua said, if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served uh, uh, that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you now dwell. But as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. It's a choice. God's not going to twist anybody's arm. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm saying things we've all heard before, probably. That doesn't take away the truth of it. It's a choice. Ruth made that choice when she told Naomi, entreat me not to leave you or turn back from following after you for wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. It's a choice. David, sweet psalmist of Israel, said it, if I'll read it for you. Psalm 119, verse 30 and 31. He says, I have chosen the way of truth. Your judgments I have laid before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. I've chosen the way of truth. And beloved, that's you're going to leave here this morning and you're going to walk into tomorrow and the day after and the day after. Day, and things get in the way, but Listen to what the Spirit of God is saying this moment is that he's inviting you and I to constantly have this truth be a livable one by reason of our choice. It's an abiding truth. It's a loving truth. It's a livable truth. but It's also a very rewarding truth. In verse 7, we read, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves, that we do not lose those things we have worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Now John's uh, addressing two things here. He knows that, himself, along with all the other apostles and leaders in the early church, had worked toward establishing a true doctrine as it relates to the way of salvation through Christ Jesus the Lord. But he's also addressing the believer who is commissioned, right? Each one of us has been commissioned, each one of us that is a Christian has been commissioned to go into the world and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So each of us has a commit. each one of us, don't need, uh, <laughs> you don't need some entity to don you with some acknowledged ecclesiastical, Button or pin that would release you to go and make disciples of all men. Just walking with Jesus, we have that authority. We have that call. We have that commission. And so are you actively involved in that? Have you taken it upon yourself to, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to disciple someone. I'm going to walk with someone in the Lord. And you say, wait a minute, time out, Art. I need somebody to disciple me. Okay, then find somebody to walk with you and disciple you if that is your response. But do you know what a joy it is to, to find a brother or a sister and just start spending time one-on-one and going through the, the Bible? Such a joy. But there's a reward in this truth of serving the Lord that way. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one of us may receive the things done in the body. In other words, while we're here living, the things that we've done, one day we're going to... Stand before the Bema seat is the Greek word. It's not a seat in which we're judged, but it's a sin in which, I'm sorry, it's a seat in which our life's work. Once we came to Christ, is observed and judged by our Savior. Now you can read it for yourself, 2 Corinthians 5:10, it says Uh, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. If you go on, in that same book, or a different book, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward to his own labor. In other words, planting the seed of the word of God into people's hearts, or coming alongside someone who is uh, growing in their faith and watering those seeds by relationship and through knowledge of the word of God and through the spirit of God, you know, planting and watering, two different things. Paul, writing about this subject in 1 Corinthians 3.13, said, quote, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, capital D-A-Y. And what that means is that the day of the Lord The day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as though through fire. So this is to be a a rewarding truth. As we take these truths in and give these truths out, one day we just want to hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Yes, an abiding love, a loving, I'm sorry, an abiding truth, a loving truth, a livable truth, a rewarding truth. A couple more here. It's also to be a guarded truth. Look at verse nine. John writes, he says, Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. The truth of Scripture what we know is canonization of, our, uh, of the word of God. This is to be guarded. Uh, it's not something to be flippant with. It's not something to uh, allow others to manipulate or twist or pervert. It's to be a guarded truth. And what's interesting to me is that in the day and age in which we live, we have something, all throughout the inception of the New Testament becoming uh, canonized, as we'll, we'll stick with uh, what we know to be as canon. All throughout its history, there have been those that have sought to twist it change it use it for their own different purposes what we have going on today maybe you've heard of it in your uh, podcast search or your uh, watching of Christian information is something called deconstruction and what's happening in in the modern uh, church today is that many want to deconstruct the established principles of Christian doctrine. And what do I mean by that? Well, they they want to pick and choose the things that Jesus, through the things that Jesus said that they agree with, and put some of the things that Jesus said that they don't agree with to the side and let that become their doctrine of Christianity. Wait a minute. The promise of a blessing for everyone who reads uh, the book of Revelation, which is a a prophetical book, but speaks also to the whole of, of Scripture. Have you read that verse one of Revelation? Verse three of Revelation one: "Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy." Of course, it's speaking of Revelation, but it also means that the entire book is prophetic in the sense that it speaks to uh, the person of God, the work of Christ, and His desire to save all mankind. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. In other words, do. They, they, They don't just keep it on a shelf. Got it. Keep it. No, they are keeping it in that it's become an active part of the way in which they live. And you go on and you read in verse 18 of chapter 22 of Revelation. Then we come to the crux of the matter. And what does verse 18 and 19 of chapter 22 of Revelation say? So glad you asked. I'll read it. It says... Delete that from the tape. It says... Revelation twenty-two eighteen. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things... God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. To be a guarded truth, I pray that you know, I was pray in my lifetime that I will always be a guard to the truth that is here. I pray in your lifetime that as you've come to faith and have embraced this as a living, authoritative, inerrant word from our eternal Father that you too would see the privilege and the joy of being a guard to it. It's to be a guarded truth. It's to be a a rewarding truth, a, a livable truth, a loving truth, an abiding truth, and finally. I think John's sentiment here can be encapsulated in the phrase that I've put lastly in this outline is that This truth is warmest when it is shared face-to-face. It's warmest as a face-to-face truth. We read this in our congregational reading. Verse 12 and 13. Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink. But I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. Little children of your elect sister, the children of your elect sister, greet you. Amen. Um, Many of us here this morning, and some of us have not, saw the transition from what was called a landline telephone hanging on your wall or this big thing on a counter to remember the first mobile? It was like this big, sat in a box. It had the regular hand receiver. You had to have a a long antenna on your car or something. And that little thing called a computer and you could uh, type in a message and send to somebody else. Yeah. I don't know about you but I mean I'm, I'm old school and I confess. I mean I use email and I use text but they do not communicate like face to face. Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay. They communicate, but they do not equal face-to-face conversation and communication. And this truth is warmest. It is, it's not, the word of God is not limited. Isaiah chapter 55, God promises, you know, as the rain comes down and waters the earth and uh, give seed to the sower, so is my word that goes out of my mouth, it shall, be, it shall accomplish the thing for which I have sent it. In whatever way the word of God is going out, whether it's a YouTube, a text, it's on phones, whatever, God promises his word will accomplish what he intended to accomplish. He's not limited in any way his word is not. To you and I... This truth is warmest when it's shared face-to-face with others. And that's what John is just trying to communicate here. He says, I could write about it and tell you the rest of what I want to tell you, but I'd much rather just come and talk with you face-to-face about it because of the love in his heart, the emotion his recipients would see, and uh, how true that remains For us today. So we close with. The question. I guess. Or the statement. What's coming in? It's an abiding truth. Will be with us forever. So are we adding to the stockpile. Of the truth of God's word. In our heart so that when we speak to our neighbor in love, it comes across in a loving way because we've synthesized those truths into our own lifestyle. That others can see that we're not just you know thumping them over the head with a Bible verse, but rather there's this broken heart of ours for them, that they would know the same God we know, know the same joys we know, that we would one day also see them in heaven in eternity, that it's a loving truth we share because it's an abiding truth in us, not just a verse. And the reason that it's not just a verse is because we've actually started to live some of this out. We're living the truth out in our lives. We're guarding this truth and sharing this truth face to face. I love John's sentiment in this book because of what it can do for you and I if we take these things one by one and just decide, yep, I'm, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start putting more in so that it's abiding. I'm going to share every chance I get in a loving way because I'm going to allow these things to be lived out in my life. And there's a reward coming in heaven. There's certainly a blessing for living it out here. The greater reward is, is hearing the voice of our Savior saying, well done, good and faithful servant. And all along the way, I'm going to guard this thing so that when someone seeks to pervert it or twist it or change it, that, you know, I, like the soldier, I've laid my life down a cross for it. No, you're not going to change this if you're dealing with me because let me share you why face to face. This is life. Solid steps for us moving ahead as a body of believers in an ever changing world starting now. We ask it in Jesus' name. We close with me in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning once again for the deep echo of love that comes across in your servant John as as the Holy Spirit prompted him to write these words that are not just ink on paper but are actually living. We know they're alive because they speak to our heart. We know they're alive because you've said that the word of God is quick and powerful. That it is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, this morning, have your way in us as we walk out this, this truth this week, we ask. And we'll give you the praise for it because we know you're faithful even when we are not. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's stand church.